I invite you to grab the sermon notes. The text will also be on the screen. A place for taking notes is at the bottom. There aren't many notes that I'm going to, many fill-ins I'm going to give you today. But perhaps there are things that you want to remember. One of the questions that often comes up when we're talking about promises and living in the present while we wait for promises to come to pass is, how can you be sure? How can you know that what God has said about the future is going to come to pass? And there are a number of ways for us to get at an answer like that. One of, one of the ways to get at an answer to that question is you, you look at the character of God. And, and we didn't look at it much last week, but, but, but last week there, there was this really powerful, I think, section of the reading where God, God raised a question that led us to think about his character. He, asked, he, led a, he had a conditional statement. He said, if, that's, that's how conditional statements begin, if you can break my covenant with the day and night, well, let's just answer the first part of that condition. Can you break, can we break, can anybody break God's relationship, his covenant relationship with sunrise, sunset, with day and night? And the answer is no. Right, so immediately when you read a conditional statement like this, you realize, well, it's contrary to fact, it's not true, it's not going to happen. So then if the first part is false, that means the second part is also false. So this is how it continues. If you can break my covenant with the day and night, then you can also break my covenant promises with you. Well, if the first part is false, the second part is also false. To state it positively, God says, you cannot break my covenant with the day and night, therefore you cannot break my covenant with you. So all these promises about a stump, a, a, a stump bringing up a shoot from Jesse's stem, a Savior Jesus, the, the Lord our righteous Savior, all that's going to be true because you can't break this covenant, therefore you can't break this covenant. So one way to answer the question, how can you be sure, is to look at God's character. And the other way to do it is to just look at what God does. And that's what we're going to do today in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 36. We're going to see what God does. And there's, a four, there's four letters I'm going to, hopefully, if I remember to do this in the sermon, keep bringing back to you. I'll explain to you what they mean later, but these are four really important letters that stand for four really important things that can, lead, can walk with you into life. And the four letters are this. They're at the bottom of your sheet. V-D-M-A. Just repeat it with me. V-D-M-A. Okay? Let's do it again. V-D-M-A. I'll explain to you what they mean later, um, but let, first let's listen to the Word of God, Jeremiah chapter 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah until now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch, that's his scribe, wrote them all in the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, I am restricted. I am not allowed to go to the Lord's temple, so you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words the Lord the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. 
perhaps there's this great hope in Jeremiah and God. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord and will each turn from their wicked ways. For their anger and wrath pronounced against this people by the Lord are great. So he, they read in the temple, they read it to the leaders, and then the leaders say, oh, the king needs to hear this, but first, Jeremiah, you and Baruch have to go hide because the king probably won't like it. This is what happens next. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishama, the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king sent Jehudai to get the scroll, and Jehudai brought it from the room of Elishama, the secretary, and read it to all the kings and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the, sitting in the winter apartment with the fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. So, Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah, and as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, son of king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. This is the word of our God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, your word is worth more to us than being burned in a fire. Um, it's not just about the paper and the ink on the paper. It's about truth. It's about life. It's about power. It's about salvation that those words give to us, that those words make happen in us. Your, your word is powerful. It's like a sword. It's, it's, it, it's salvation to us. So we pray, let these words of my mouth and the meditating of our hearts upon your words, let it all be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, the longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize that I sound a little bit like a broken record. I, I used to make fun of my professors, and my family will laugh about this because I know it's true. I, I used to laugh at my professors, and sometimes my classmates were cleverer than I, and they would take note, they would write down all the things that the ke professors kept saying. You know, their stock phrases, they're the same old phrases. They, they all, you'll maybe have a professor in one of your schools, high school or college or beyond, where they just kept saying the same old things again and again and again. They had their, like, stump speeches. They had, like, platforms. They had all these things that they just said again and again and again. And I realized the longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize I'm becoming just like them. I have the things that I say again and again. I have the things that are really important to me. I have my ruts. So let's just see. I want to just see how bad it is, okay? I want to see how bad it, my ruts are, okay? So let's just try this. One of the things that, that's, that I talk a lot about is um, our vocations and how important the regularly ordinary work of our day-to-day -day life is. My family makes fun of me for this all the time. Maybe they'll be the only ones who get it. But we talk about our blank work. Our, Ruth, you know it our holy work. Like, she, like, do your holy work and take out the trash is what she'll say to me. <laughs> right? Okay, so maybe that's just a Borman thing. Okay, one of the questions I've been asked, let's try this one. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll catch you on this one. One of the questions I've been asking more recently is how do Christians see? How do we interpret the world and the life that's in front of us? Christians see with their, their oh, my connect group got it. Christians see with their ears, right? See, <laughs> I'm a broken record, right? Because faith comes by 
hearing, right? And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Okay, this one, this one everybody should get. We are not victims. We are victors in Christ, right? So you get the idea, right? These are not necessarily bad things and all of these things we can support. And I could, I do, I hope I do shore up with the truth of God's word there, but they're kind of like ruts, and I have lots of ruts. I have things and teachings that I'm really passionate about, things that I focus on. Like worship is really important to me. I think a lot about what we do here. I promise I don't try to make your life difficult. But I do want to do things in worship that are meaningful and formative for you. We all have ruts. And I think I do, you do too. As I, as I thought about this morning and just tried to imagine all of you sitting there this morning, I, I thought to myself, you know, I bet I could walk around church this morning and, and point at different people. I won't do this, I promise. But I could point at different people and say, I bet you have the same kind of thing. Things that, that are really passionate to you. Like, I know that some of you care a lot about politics. Like, you care a lot about what's happening in local and national government. It's, it's become like your bailiwick. Everything you think and do and think about is, is national and local, and I care what's happening. And some of you care a lot about race, right? Some of you care a lot about health care. Some of you care a lot about road safety. Like, you, if I walked around this room, I think I could tap you on the shoulder and say, I, I've heard you talk enough. I hear what you talk about enough, and I know what you care about. I know the things that are really important to you. We all have our ruts, and that's not a bad thing. And we all try to shore up our ruts with truth, right? When we talk about politics, we want to shore it up and, and found, ground it on the truth of Scripture. If we're going to be political, let's do so on the basis of what God says is good and right. Right? If we're going to talk about race, let's do it on the basis of what God says is good and right. If we're going to talk about anything... Let's do it on the basis of what God says is right. As we're going to read in a couple of weeks, let's build our house on the rock of God's word, not on the sand of whatever. Or anything else that we sing in our hymn, everything else is sinking sand. We all have our ruts. And, and Jehoiakim, the king, had his rut too. He had this position, he had this Standing, he had this opinion that, well, I don't even know exactly what it was, but I know he had it, and he did a thing that I can't even begin to fathom. Jehoiakim is the king of Israel at this time, and just if you're, if you're a chronological person, I want you to understand Je Je Jeremiah is not real interested in chronology. Last week we were talking about Zedekiah. We're, now we're talking about Jehoiakim who comes before Zedekiah. So don't worry. If you're into chronology, you just have to ignore Jer Jeremiah's order of things. Jehoiakim is the king. He's the son of King Josiah. And the word of God came to him. It was brought to him on a scroll from the temple to his advisors, finally to him on his porch in the winter. And as he heard God's word read to him, he read a column, cut a column, threw it in the fire. Read a column, cut a column, threw it in the fire. Rinse, repeat, until the entire scroll, <laughs> the entire scroll of God's word that God had given to him, everything that Jeremiah had said and preached from the beginning of his father until that very day, cut a column, read a column, cut a column, threw it in the fire, 
And the worst part is, he showed no fear and did not tear his robes in repentance. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine that. You know, when we got rid of the, we moved the pews so we could have a little different area for our piano and singers, it made my heart a little sad to take pews. And they're just pieces of wood, right? Not really, but it made my heart a little sad to take pieces of wood that weren't going to be useful to us anymore and gently dispose of them. And we still have 50 or so red hymnals hanging around, even though they're not being used anymore, because why? We can't, it's, it's a hymnal. It's not even inspired by God. It has truth in it. I can't imagine disposing of those. And then Jehoiakim takes the Bible and cuts a page out of it and throws in the fire and doesn't even care. And it wasn't just Jehoiakim. There was a crowd around him, a crowd of advisors right there with him. And it wasn't just him, it was Zedekiah after him, it was Jehoiachin, if you're going to get confused with all the names, Jehoiachin after him, it was the nation, it was the people, they just didn't revere the word of God. So how do you get to this point? See, that's my question with Jehoiakim, how do you get to this point? Remember, his dad is Josiah. And if you know who Josiah is, he's like, Josiah is... Some would say greater than King David, greater than Solomon, and, and that's saying something. Josiah is, he's like a Martin Luther kind of, he's the great reformer. So just try to imagine this with me. In, in the beginning of Josiah's reign, he comes in and the, the church, and I promise I'm not making statements about our own church, I'm just saying, okay? Right, the, 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 the roof was falling in, right? It wasn't just leaking, it was rafters were falling out of the ceiling, the plaster was peeling off of the walls. It was in desperate need, not just of a paint job, but of totally, total refurbishment. The carpet was pulling up at every seam, right? The pews and the chairs, they needed to be fixed and replaced or refinished or something. It was like walking into, like if you walked into Josiah's temple when his kingdom reigned, it was like walking into like a dump, like, just imagine all of our pews, half of our pews upended on top of each other and just cobwebs and dust and dirt and everything everywhere. Like, somebody just came in and just, Wah! by the way, let's take care of our church. It's our church. It's a good thing to do. Side comment. But Josiah said, we can't let God's house stay like this. Right? And so he raised money and he said, we're going to take care of God's house. And as he's putting pews back in places and refinishing them and putting, as everybody's doing their work, they discovered God's word. We can't ever imagine a day when we don't have God's word, right? It's so accessible in our hands. But for them, the word of God was buried underneath a heap of rubble. And Josiah said, I need to hear this book. <laughs> so he sat down and he read it. And the first thing Josiah did when he read it is he tore his clothes. Because he's like, man, we are so far from God. And then he turned to God in repentance and faith and says, God, please, we've, we're far from you. We're far from you. Please don't destroy us. 
And God said, I won't do it under you, but I will do it under your sons. That's Jehoiakim's dad, the great reformer. And here is Jehoiakim taking a scroll, cutting a column, burning a column, till it's all gone. How do you get to that point? I, I can't necessarily tell you how that happens to him, but I can't imagine how it happens to me and maybe even to you. It starts with these ideas, these ruts that really excite us, that captivate us. You know, we get really excited about, about politics or race or worship or health or all these things. We, it starts with an idea that really excites us and that captivates us. Right? Jehoiakim had that, didn't he? Right? He was God's anointed king. And he had a job to lead the people toward God. He had a job to lead them to honor and to keep God's word to protect and keep the people. Starts with an idea that captivates us. And then it goes with, then we move from that idea and we find Bible passages to support it. Good thing, right? It's a really good thing until we're not using Bible passages that actually support it. And we're just, we call it proof texting. You're just taking a Bible passage that sounds like it might support it. You're like, you're like taking, maybe even taking it out of context. I love verses of the day, like individual verses you can focus on, but the danger of that is you're only looking at the verse and not the whole thing, right? It starts with an idea that captivates us. It moves to proof texting where we're just kind of like, oh, that supports my idea. That supports my idea. That supports my idea. We're doing it wrong. Can you see that already? We're starting with the idea and then finding Bible passages to support it instead of the other way around. Okay, so there's this idea, proof texting, and then people. Listen, if you want support for whatever you want to think, you can find people who think that too. Right? You will always be able to find somebody who supports you. Right? Just look hard enough and long enough and you will find, like social media has made it so possible. Dislike, like, we call it confirmation bias. Right? Where, where you find what, you, what supports you which is nice, it's affirming, but is it the best? Right? So idea, proof texting, confirmation bias, and then we read the Bible and what do we do? We might not cut out a column, but we might ignore part of it. We, we might explain part of it away. We might dismiss part of it. I won't tell all the context of this story because it doesn't necessarily help the story, but I remember sitting with another pastor, not a Wells pastor, Lutheran pastor even. We were talking about baptism, and we were, I was trying to understand how, you get, how they got to the position they were at, and we looked at a Bible verse that said, baptism now saves you, and I said, well, Clay, explain to me how you don't think that's true. And the answer, I just don't believe that. right? We get to this point, if you follow this through, if, we're, if we become hardened enough in our ideas, we get to this point where we just kind of like, well, I don't believe that. Or, or we maybe say it like this, well, I think this. Well, what does it say? 
or, or we don't read the Bible, or we don't read all of it. We pick our favorite sections, but not all the sections. You know what's the scariest part of this entire account? The most shuddering, the thing that makes me shudder the most? <laughs> Chapter 36 are God's charges against the king. And the charges are written out so that everybody in all time can see what the charges are. The king who shredded the Bible and didn't even care. What's the thing? What will the charges against you read when it comes to your relationship with God's word? The person who picked and chose what they wanted to read. Who picked, who skipped over sections that they didn't like. What will it say? That's the scariest part for me. Those things written down in God's book about me and how I've treated his word. But my favorite part of this entire section is the last verse. Can I read it to you? Look at it. Guys, can you put it on the screen? Look at it with me. Go to the verse. Is the verse not there? There it is. So Jeremiah took another scroll. So this is after he cut it up. Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. You see, she's the promise and the hope already there. You can't get rid of the Bible. Okay, I need to explain to you VDMA now. Are you ready? Guys, go ahead and put it up there. VDMA is, is a Lutheran cry. If you're, okay, VDMA stands for, put it up there. Click. Verbum, you're going you're gonna to memorize this part. I just know it. Verbum domini manet in aeternum. In other words, the word of the Lord endures forever. VDMA stands for the word of the Lord endures forever. So Jehoiakim, he cannot cut up the Bible and destroy it. We cannot throw all our Bibles in the world and in, in the fire and make it God's word disappear. Right? I don't care what you do with your, I do care, but at the end of the, I don't care what you do with your Bible because you cannot make sure you will not ever, we cannot ruin God's word. False teaching, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to try not to do it. Not false teaching, not destruction of the Bible. Nothing will wipe out or erase the word of God. God will make sure of it. The word of the Lord endures forever. V-D-M-A. And many other words were added to them. There's a word for us today that's not in Jeremiah 36 that I need to say to you for your hope and for your life. 
it's true that the way you've treated God's word is written in a book. Pay attention, you've got to follow me all the way to the end of this, okay? It's true that your sins are written down, that they're recorded, written down by God. But what else is true? Is that those words written down against you have been nailed to the cross. The written charges against you that stood against you, that condemned you to all infamy and eternity, those charges have been nailed to the cross. And those charges were leveled against Christ. And those charges condemned him. And those charges killed him. The, the charges that were against you and that sort of opposed you, those charges were nailed to the cross so that now you stand forgiven. And I say stand because it is a matter of present and future. We stand in a position of forgiveness. We stand in a, a position of peace with God. There is no condemnation for you. And many similar words were added to them. Words of your forgiveness and peace and life and eternity. Dear people of God, I don't expect that God's going to add to the Bible. I don't, I don't read that verse and say, oh, God's going to add something. He, he might, he could, he's God, he can do that. I don't expect that he will. Because these things are written, you know how this goes, right? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I don't expect that God's going to add more words to his book, but this much I know. <laughs> and I am convinced of it. This is, I am convinced of this. This word, his word, will endure. His word of forgiveness will not be erased. His word of eternity will not be erased. His promise of presence will not be erased. If you can't break his covenant with the sun and the day and the moon and the night and the sunrise, and so if you can't break that covenant, you can't break this covenant, God will ensure that his word will endure forever. VDMA, this is what we believe. This is what the scriptures teach. And this is what God will do. Amen? Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.